today I am here joined with uh, joined by the CEO of Market Leverage. Um, his name is Michael Jenkins. Um, I have been hearing about um, Michael and Market Leverage for years, and heard about that they generate a tremendous amount of traffic, and have never had any contact with them. And so this is kind of a, a first time to talk with Michael. I'm pretty excited about it. So Michael, thanks for thanks for joining us. Thank you, Adrian. It's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I've also heard great things about you, and, and I enjoy being interviewed by you. Thank you. Um, maybe can you just tell us a little bit about um, – well, tell us a little bit about who you are first, like where you've come from and, you know, what, what, where you grew up and what, you know, what, what your past has been like. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I, I actually uh, – I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, um, and uh, I actually I grew up in a very entrepreneurial house. My father was a really, really great salesperson uh, who kind of uh, took his skill set and became an entrepreneur. I uh, did a lot of interesting things. So I grew up in a house where it was very normal uh, to sit around the table and listen to my dad converse with people and business. Uh, so I've always had the itch to, to go out and do something. Uh, I'm also fortunate enough, uh, people that are my age, 30, 35, um, 30, I'm actually 34 years old, but in that zone, uh, remember a very different world before the Internet. So it's, it's been really phenomenal to observe what the Internet has brought uh, to the world. And I was in my my 20s that began to happen so this was the place to be uh, and I was you know fortunate enough to be introduced to this particular industry uh, about 10 years ago uh, and I started um, uh, what became market leverage it started out as precision play media about 10 years ago uh, from a very very small townhome uh, and have grown it into what it is today cool how come you moved down to Florida a uh, great question uh, I got out of um, I was attending college in upstate New York and I was looking for some place to go. You know, I leave college dropouts. I am definitely a college dropout. <laughs> I, I guess you, know, you can tell already, huh? You know, that's that I've noticed across my interviews. Um, yeah. A very large percentage of the, the most successful guys don't finish college. Well, you know, I don't. I, for me, I'd love to go back someday to to go just for the sake of learning uh, whatever it is that I want to learn. Uh, but to be really honest with you, for me, I was so eager to go out and try things and do things. Uh, that it was difficult to, to sit in school all day. Um, so I, I actually, what happened for me was my father owned a tiny, like tiny, tiny little beach cottage. It wasn't on the ocean or anything. It was down the street. My grandparents lived down the street. I was uh, probably 19 years old in my second year of college, and um, I just decided that uh, I, was, I was done with that and I wanted to go out and do something. And I didn't know a thing about the world, and I used to think that Daytona Beach was, you know, a bigger location than it was. Uh, so I basically moved out there thinking I was going to take over the world, and uh, I spent a number of years uh, looking for an opportunity to uh, to fulfill my ambitions, uh, and in of all places in the world, Daytona Beach is where I was introduced to this industry. So, and how long have you been in Florida? Uh, I've lived in Florida now going on uh, about 15 years. All right. And married, 16 kids, you know, the whole, the whole <laughs> bit, two wives. Yes, I, I am. Uh, I am married. I've been married for 11 years. Uh, I have two children: a nine-year-old son and a uh, six-year-old daughter. Cool. And then I, I saw from some of the photos that you sent for, for us to publish that you're a bit of a, a traveler, and you, you had an interesting picture of you in South America. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I, I've uh, recently. I, I think I went about four or five years with no vacations at all, and, and just strictly focused on building the business. And a few years ago. Uh, I decided that it was it was time to kind of go out and see all these things I dreamed about. Uh, I'm not like you. I haven't been to North Korea or a place like that. I'd love to do that. 
but uh, I sort of got the desire uh, about a year and a half ago to climb the seven summits of the world. Uh, so I started out with Kilimanjaro and went out to Africa. Uh, and then I, um, uh, in December of last year, uh, I went to Aconcagua, which is in Argentina. It's the largest mountain in the world outside of Asia uh, at a little over 23,000 feet or right around 23,000 feet. Uh, and summited that as well. So my plans are to continue doing that. Uh, my wife and I have also been out to France and to Italy, and, and it's just a wonderful experience. We enjoy doing it. So, so you're actually, I mean, I was actually reading a little bit about it. What you're doing is you're, there's this thing called the Seven Summits. So you're out mm -hmm. to go and climb like every tall mountain in the world, basically. Well, every the, the tallest mountain on each of the seven continents uh, is, is, is the goal. So I was actually supposed to go out. So I've done two of the seven. Uh, I was scheduled a few months back to go out to uh, Mount McKinley, otherwise known as Denali, which is out in Alaska. Uh, and that's the tallest in North America. And it's also one of the most epic climbs um, out there. It's, it's, uh, it's just freezing. It's all ice-covered, glaciated. I was really looking forward to it. And when I was training uh, to do winter mountaineering out in Seattle, unfortunately I fell and I hurt my knee, which knocked the trip out. But... Uh, I'm working on getting that better so that I can get out there uh, next year. So, unfortunately, I missed that. I was hoping to do three that year, but um, I'll be getting back to that as soon as I can. Um, and, and, I mean, so this isn't something that just, like, grandma goes and does. You've, you've, you've got to get in pretty good shape to go and do this. Yeah, and, you know, I think part of the reason that there's sort of a rush uh, in my mind, I don't want to do this over seven or ten years, is because you do have to be in really great shape, uh, and, and it's kind of hard, I think, to maintain that level of focus and, and shape. I hope I can for the next 10 years, but, but sort of while you have it, you want to use it. So that's really been my, um, my focus, is to take and leverage uh, the shape that I'm in right now and just keep that going. So it actually started out a few years ago. Uh, I started working out, and I enjoyed doing that, and then I, I decided on my 30th birthday I wanted to run a marathon, uh, so I've, I've run seven of those, um, and I just kept kind of uh, taking that, that physical fitness and seeing what else I could do with it. I'm by no means a gifted athlete, and the only thing I bring to the table, unfortunately, is willpower. So um, mountains are a good thing. So, you, you know, you don't have to sprint them, uh, but you, if you have a lot of will, I think, and really good guides, uh, you can accomplish a lot. So, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. You suffer like crazy, but it gives you a lot of appreciation for uh, everyday life, and, and it is remarkable to do that. Hmm. Well, the, the hobby, I mean, we'll get on to business in a second. The hobby that I picked up recently is photography, and so mm -hmm. I, I've always liked to travel to kind of weird places. Uh, uh -huh. Being able to, to do that with uh, photography on the Internet ends up being really powerful because you can just easily run off a, a bunch of photos, and then suddenly everyone you know all over the world can see them. Um, yeah. I don't know if you do that already with, with your, your trips, but it sounds like you could take some amazing pictures. Well, you know, it's, I, I've taken some really nice pictures purely out of luck. I find the thing about digital photography that's so great uh, is, is that you can take so many pictures that you're bound by pure accident and freak of nature to have a decent one in there. Um, unfortunately, my experience with photography, as much as I love it, is much like somebody who plays golf. It's about that one shot, and I, I have not figured out how to consistently produce that one great shot. So I, my hat's off to you. I, I looked at your North Korea pictures. Uh, and I thought they were all very, very good. And a lot of symbolic stuff in your pictures, which I thought was really neat. Uh, I find it, it, it's hard to actually do that, so you're better at it than I am. Well, let me tell you the secret, and then we'll, and then we'll go on, because um, sure. people think I know a lot about photography, and I, I barely know anything. Um, there's two things that I do. One is that I have a really good camera, and so just uh -huh. buy a really good camera. You spend like three or four grand on your camera, and so uh -huh. 
And then the second thing is you take lots of photos and you just pick the best one. There, there you go. In digital <laughs> photography, that's really a great are really good at this. Yeah, well, you know what? You, you, the ones that you posted were awesome. And I, I have to admit, it's the first time in my entire life I've ever thought about actually getting a North Korea leader's outfit. So when I saw you in it, for some reason I had an itch to actually buy one. And I'm not sure where that comes from, but that was kind of cool. Uh, you have to get them custom made in North Korea. <laughs> Is that the only way to do it? Uh, I mean, maybe you can get them in somewhere else. I, I've never, but I'd never heard of that before. It was just something that got offered to us on our tour. Yeah, that's, well, I guess it doesn't hurt if you wear exactly the same outfit every day for your entire life. It's pretty easy for somebody to duplicate that. Yeah, no, they not, you know, it costs like $80. They made it for us in the, in about a day, and it's custom made, and yeah, that's it. That's neat. Alrighty, so tell us about Market Leverage. You're a CPA network. Yes, we are. Um, Market Leverage was, was founded in September of 2004, and, um, Precision Play Media was was sort of a um, that's that's the company I originally started, and what we had was a very large rolodex of advertisers and publishers. And, and back when the company was started, few advertisers knew uh, that many publishers, and most of the publishers didn't know how to work with the advertisers. So we would bring these two parties together, uh, and then somewhere around 0304, people began to take this uh, affiliate marketing model. It had existed before. But people began to take it and, and sort of um, make it much more efficient through software that we now call an affiliate marketing network. And it's funny because I, I like to think that we're a very innovative company, but when I first saw that model, I actually thought a lot of the quality was going to get lost. I thought that what we bought by hand putting these two companies together, the advertiser and the publisher, was going to get lost in all of this automation and the quality of the leads, etc., would suffer. Uh, so I, I sort of held out in going into that and I waited too long. Uh, but eventually we decided to start the network, Market Leverage. I'm very, very, very happy that we did that uh, as of now. And Market Leverage's prime purpose for being uh, is, to, is to push performance-based marketing in whatever direction that uh, evolution takes it. Uh, that currently is in the affiliate marketing space. But we think that the idea of an advertiser paying only when they get what they're looking for is much larger than just affiliate marketing. So that's the space that we service now, uh, and we're eagerly looking forward to and trying to develop ways to take that beyond just affiliate marketing. So that's your bigger vision, is it? That that is the, the bigger vision is is you know there's there's a saying my father used to say uh, all the time that he who has the gold makes the rules, uh, sort of the golden rule of business. And when I first got into this industry, the notion that an advertiser would only pay when they got what they were looking for, uh, while it was somewhat of a revolutionary idea, it took advantage of the interactivity of the Internet far better than CPMs did. CPMs, to me, were, were sort of the same model that had been employed for a long time across television uh, and across radio and, and magazines and newspapers. So CPA really took the interactive aspect of the Internet and it forced people to be very efficient and it gave the person ultimately, who controlled the, the, the wealth, the people who were willing to pay the gold. It gave them the, the ability to take control. So you know, we lined up behind that very early, and, and I don't think that that's going to stop with affiliate marketing. I think affiliate marketing is just the first place to accept that model and move forward with it. Cool. And I'm going to ask you a lot more about that one um, in, later in the interview because that's a, that's a big topic, so very cool. Um, before we go on, can you tell me, give me a little bit of an idea of how big is market leverage and the, you know, the like employees, revenue, that kind of stuff? 
Sure. Um, one of the beautiful things about being a private company is that we don't disclose what our revenues are, but I can tell you that um, uh, we, um, uh, we have about 53 employees here. Uh, we've grown very dramatically over the course of the last three years. Um, we have been, you know, looked upon by Inc. Magazine and recognized for that growth over the last couple of years. Uh, last year, our revenues were actually uh, posted at about 35 to 36 million. Uh, we're pacing uh, for greater than that right now this year, and we're looking to continue that growth. Okay. Um, and are all, your, are all your employees in Florida? Yes, all of our employees are in Florida. Um, yes. So you, you have everybody based in one office, do you? Yes, we do. We we have a uh, one of the big events that happened in market leverage over the course of the last year. I think we're coming up to close to a year that we've been here as we moved into a really beautiful uh, office space that we're very, very proud of. It was kind of a dream office space for us. Uh, it's a little over 15,000 square feet, and everybody's in-house. That's it. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, a lot of people work in a very distributed manner. I'm obviously in the Caribbean. Um, mm -hmm. You're an Internet company, a purely Internet company, doing a pretty advanced thing, being affiliate marketing, and mm -hmm. yet you, you have all of your, your, off, your employees in one location. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I don't – go ahead. No, I mean, I'm interested as you're thinking as why. Obviously, you've had the opportunity to hire people who are not located locally. You know, I, I think for us, one of the issues that, that you run into, in affiliate marketing in particular, uh, is that it is still very, very, very much the Wild West. So one of our things has always been to bring a degree of reliability, uh, to bring a, a degree of trust and high standards uh, to the, both the advertisers and the publishers that we work with. And I believe strongly that, uh, that that value, those values always win out in business. So we felt the best way to do that was to create a great culture around those ideas and around those concepts. And I didn't see being able to create that culture uh, in the distributed way, the same way that we can do it in our office. So one of our primary focuses has actually been internal uh, in, in creating a group of people or creating a culture, I should say, that's made up of the right people, you know, sitting in the right seat on the bus to borrow an idea from Jim Collins and Good to Great. Uh, and we think that when we can assemble that group of people and when we do assemble that group of people, that it, it, it's just it's evident from the outside in dealing with market leverage. So culture uh, around the right values and around what we believe uh, is, is integral to market leverage, and we think it services our customers better than uh, we would otherwise be able to do in the distributed model. And, of course, there are challenges around having everybody here. Uh, it's much more expensive to do it that way, but our bet is is that that quality will pay off in the long run. Do you, one of the big things that happens a lot is um, people, uh, employees learn a lot, build the relationships, and then they leave and start their own business. Has that been happening to you guys as well, or does that happen less, do you feel? Well, uh, you know, we, we've we always taken the approach. Um, we're, we're fairly strong with our, our, um, our, our NDAs. Um, and, you know, we are in Orlando. We're not in New York City, and we're not out in the Valley. So as a result of that, we don't have a, as much geographic competition, uh, which we think is, is an advantage. But to be really honest with you, the, the environment that we create is based on as much as possible uh, is based on integrity. We try to take very, very good care of our employees. I think most people here are paid significantly more uh, because they're in our business than they would be down the street in another business in the Orlando area. 
Um, we have incredible benefits. We buy people lunch every day. Uh, we even have a Friday lunch where uh, we buy beer for everybody and we talk about the business on Friday. Uh, so the environment, I think, is, is very accepting, but at the same time it holds people accountable to, uh, to the values that we believe in and to being good at what they do. And I find that that challenges people, uh, and I find that, that there's more of a family environment here, and I think that, that people don't want to leave uh, for a number of reasons, and one of them is, is because we've given people a fair shake and we want to continue to do that. Okay. Um, let's see. So as a C, are you doing anything else than a CPA network, or is your main thing as a CPA network and effectively brokering traffic? Well, we, we are definitely a CPA network. Um, at the same time, we do have in-house publishing. Uh, we have an email marketing division in-house. Uh, additionally, we, um, we create some of our own offers uh, that we work with, um, with call centers on, um, and we're kind of dabbling here and there in some different ideas and different things. The core product, though, is to take the quality uh, and, and the integrity and the trust message through the brokerage business uh, by putting advertisers with publishers and making that work. Now, as, I mean, for, for an advertiser, when they hear a network say that they're running their own offers, that's a little bit of a concern, right? Because then uh, you can potentially go and copy the offers that the advertisers made and then, and then cut them out of the network and take their, their percentage. Well, um, it, if we were to do that, then advertisers would be and they would have every right to be concerned, but that's actually not what we do at all. In, in fact, the reality is when we say we create our own offers, uh, we've done that in a very narrow space uh, involving travel, uh, and we've done it in a way that uh, no other advertiser that we're familiar with has done, and certainly no advertiser that's worked with market leverage has done. We have sort of the advantage of, of being in the Orlando area, which is uh, the, the timeshare capital of America. So right in our backyard are advertisers uh, that, that, um, that have really great products. They have uh, destinations all over the world, and they're looking to sell access to those destinations. So that's something that's unique that we've done, and it's not really uh, – it doesn't compete with uh, the advertisers that we work with. Okay. Um, what, so for, let's say an, an affiliate wants to get started, and they're, they're, they've, they've signed up for, for market leverage, they've gotten approved. Where do they get started? How do they know what offers are performing well? Great question. Great question. And I actually think it's funny. I think this is one of the great questions in affiliate marketing, often overlooked and taken for granted, but I think it's one of the great questions. You know, it, it's, it's a shoot from the hip idea, but we think that 75 to 80% of our large publishers in five years haven't even gotten into the business yet. So the idea of, of educating publishers and showing them how to do it, uh, we think is, is very important for affiliate marketing networks uh, and CPA networks that are thinking about the future. So the first thing I should say about market leverage is, is that, the, that the network is not for all publishers. Uh, we, we tend to focus, uh, it, it's not so much a statement about how big the publisher is, and we have some very, very large publishers, of course, on our network, but we, if, if you're an international publisher, for example, uh, you know, we require actual bank records, um, and we confirm, we actually speak with your bank before we accept you as a publisher. So we create higher standards. Uh, I challenge anybody to go and sign up for the Market Leverage Network to see the process that we have, um, can, and I encourage everybody to So what, you, you, how do you mean you confirm bank records? Well, what we do is, in, we, have, we have a department um, that's, that's a little bit more ingrained in the details than I am, but we, we, we basically will speak to anybody international 
uh, and we'll get bank references from them, and we will speak to their bank um, and confirm that they have, you know, some, you know, we can confirm that they are who they say they are, that there's, there's some banking history, etc. Um, just we use that as a basis to get to know the publisher. There's so many publishers in this industry that really aren't publishers. Uh, there are people that are trying to, to put the veil on as a publisher uh, and defraud advertisers and defraud networks. So we, we just figured that rather than playing that game altogether, we want to get real solid evidence that somebody is who they say they are. Uh, and we've created, I think, a fairly proprietary process uh, when publishers walk through uh, the application process. We speak to every publisher on the phone. You cannot get into market leverage without speaking with somebody. Uh, there's an interview process uh, that, that we've you know, been fairly careful about. So we do all of those things because we want to make sure that advertisers are getting you know, great publishers. Uh, I think for many years in affiliate marketing, it was all about volume, volume, volume. And unfortunately, we see it happen on other networks. Uh, not all of them, of course. A lot of great networks out there. But we see it happen where a high-volume publisher will go on, they'll blow the traffic up, uh, they'll get kicked off, and they'll sign up as somebody else again. And this is the kind of thing that market leverage absolutely will not let happen. So the start of, of creating a different experience uh, with market leverage is being a publisher that is going to play by the rules, 101. So when you're that, and, and we strongly believe that that's who you are, you can walk through the process, you're let in at that point. And the first thing that happens to people, because we do interview them, uh, is we also give them a, a tour of the market leverage network, and we show them how they can find top-performing offers. We know what kind of publisher they are, what types of channels that they publish in, whether it's email, search, etc., cetera, uh, and we show them how to find offers in that area. Uh, and then additionally, every publisher is assigned to a publishing manager uh, that they can call, talk with, they can get on AIM with them. Uh, there's a number of ways that they can reach out to them. And that person becomes a dedicated person who uh, is, is really there to help them to publish and, and to do well with, with our network and our offers. Is there, I mean, you must have across the network top performing offers. I mean, just is there a place that people can go and say, okay, um, I haven't gone through all of the, the, the hoops that Market Leverage has yet, but I'm interested in seeing what they've got. Is there a place where you list, like, these are our best offers of the week or the month or whatever? Yes, we do. Uh, there's actually several places that we do that. We, we have a newsletter that goes out to the publisher base. Uh, when people log into Market Leverage, they can, on, on the very first page they land on, uh, there's a there's a opportunity to see both the hottest offers as well as the newest offers uh, that's right out in front of them. And then additionally, uh, we have something that, uh, that you can see outside of a login uh, called uh, Market Leverage News. Uh, we were the first in the industry that I'm aware of to actually create a weekly video TV program uh, called MLTV. Uh, and we showcase uh, our newest and our hottest offers every week on MLTV in addition to other things. So when you say newest or hottest offers, does hottest mm -hmm. mean these are the offers that are generating the most volume? That's right. That's right. They, and, and, you know, it's funny because it doesn't always mean that they're generating the hottest volume. A hot offer can be an offer where we've looked at the effective CPMs that our publishers are getting. Uh, we look at click-to-conversion rates, and we look at a number of factors. We also look at... Uh, the, the type of offer and, uh, and how that might do with our publishing, uh, with, with our group of publishers. So the key, I think, is to spot something that we know is going to be hot based on preliminary testing. Those types of things will also be in the hot offer. So it's, it's Well, see, that's the problem, though, because as an affiliate, what I want to know is that when you sent me an offer, that it's not necessarily the offer that's making you the biggest uh, percentage. 
but it's actually the offer that's going to make me the most money. How do I know that? Like, where do I go to find that as an affiliate? That's an awesome observation, and we agree with you 100%. The, when, when I say the hot offers, it, it's, it's not what's making us the largest percent by any means. You know, what will happen is if, if we keep doing that, it's so easy for publishers to leave us and go and try or work with another network. The majority of large publishers are working with multiple networks. We're very aware of that. That's why we put the customer service and the publisher-based focus as, as one of our highest focuses. So when you log into Market Leverage, uh, even on Market Leverage TV, you can see the hottest offers both by performance and by early testing. Why early testing? What's so important about that? You know, a lot of offers, unfortunately, in affiliate marketing have the shelf life of, of meat in a butcher shop. I mean, they're very perishable. Offers kind of come and go. Uh, they tend to get tremendous distribution when they work well, and that distribution ultimately uh, makes them flat with consumers who have seen them so many times over time. So being able to recognize an offer that has all the telltale signs because of internal testing as well as publisher testing, as well as offers that are already kind of blowing up, uh, that's very important, and we put that front and center. That's why... Uh, we put that in the very first place when you log in. Okay. Um, you mentioned fraud. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about the problems you have with fraud? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, I, I think market leverage is fortunate because we've had fewer problems with fraud uh, than, than other networks have. A lot of that, uh, fraud starts... Um, at least, you know, on the publishing side, fraud starts with the publisher application. Uh, and we've always uh, put a lot more, I think, into the publisher application process than the average network does. Uh, I have a compliance team in market leverage that's over 10% of, the, of, of the, the business as far as the number of employees. Uh, we actually have two attorneys in-house. Um, the person that runs our compliance division was the youngest partner of the fifth largest law firm in the country, uh, he was our attorney, and then he came. He loved the opportunity as he saw it, uh, and, and he decided to leave his very successful law practice to come and join Market Leverage. So we take that very, very, very seriously. So the, the you know, when publishers come in, doing the interviews, uh, doing some of the things that we do to screen out, pu you know, publishers that are potential or higher potential to be fraud is the beginning of it. Uh, we also tend to look at new publishers' traffic. We look at click-through rates, uh, and we look for things that uh, don't seem realistic, uh, we also work very hard with advertisers uh, to, to determine if they're seeing anything in their streams of traffic that's out of the normal or a problem. Uh, and, you know, we believe it's a circle. So it, it's not that market leverage provides the traffic to the advertiser, and then if the advertiser is, you know, unhappy with it, well, hey, that's, that's affiliate marketing. We don't buy into that. Uh, our belief is the advertiser is a partner with us. Uh, so that when they start to see problems, we want to hear about those problems as soon as possible so we can look at the publishers and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And having said this, we don't run into a lot of problems with this, but we have to be very vigilant to keep that out of the network. So here's the thing. Um, if I talk to any CPA network, they're going to tell me that they have less problems with fraud than anyone else, that they've been really <laughs> lucky, that they, you know, that they really manage their publishers really closely, sure. and yet the fraud persists, right? I, I bet you um, we could even, um, if we had some advertisers on, we could bring them on. They'd be like, damn, i got so much fraud for market leverage, you have no idea. It was terrible. Um, you know, I, I don't know, and, and I may be totally wrong, but I... Cool. What I what I do know is that I've had people tell me like they don't they, they, their network blocks fraud, and then when I hear from guys actually dealing with the traffic that there is a huge amount of fraud. Well, I'm you know, to hear your comment I, on that. I, I think it's a wonderful thing to comment. 
And that's, that's very much why we've made the investment uh, in the compliance team that we have. I mean, when I, when I give you an example, for example, we are actually uh, one of the founding organizations of the performance marketing segment of the DMA. Um, our chief operating officer is the vice chair of that organization. Um, we, you know, I don't, we are very focused on that. And I think companies that work with us know that. What I often hear from our advertisers uh, is that, that, you know, that they actually, they're looking for more volume for market leverage. The, the, the problem continuously is, how do I get more volume? The issues that they seem to run into is, is that the CPA that they pay on other networks is not worth the CPA they pay on market leverage. Now, when I say that, there are, and you are right, there are other networks that have a very strong focus uh, on, on compliance. But I can only speak for us, and I can only speak from our experience, the vast majority of our advertisers are looking for more traffic. They like what we're doing, and we could offer a lot more traffic if we put that barrier down further, and that's not what we're going to do. We think one of our key differentiators is the quality of the traffic and the way that we accept and let people in. A lot of people can say it, um, but that is truly how we operate around here, and that is what we do. Uh, and I think there's a number of things, and, and I would invite people to go out and ask. Um, one thing about affiliate marketing is, is that there's no question that when you work on a platform where there's thousands of publishers, uh, things can and do happen, but they don't happen uh, very much on market leverage, and when they do happen, we're very, very serious about removing them. And I, I know that's unusual, as I buy traffic from a lot of other networks and a lot of other places. So just one more uh, point on the fraud. Um, one, one of the guys that I've worked with a bit has, has uh, built a system where he can uh, detect a lot of fraud on the, mm -hmm. on the advertiser side. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that as they were actually testing traffic, they were finding that real traffic coming through real publishers included a component of fraud inside it. Um, and he felt that, in fact, that it might have been in the network's incentive to, to just leave that in there because it, it still keeps their commissions high. And as long as the advertiser doesn't even really realize that the fraud's there, then it, it, everybody's happy. Those guys should go to jail. And, and we, we, you know, this is so antithetical. I, I actually, I think that this stuff is great for market leverage in the long run because this is not what we want to do. And, and you know, when you, when you say those things, I think that underscores the point of the differentiation that we have uh, from other people in the industry. And we're not alone in that. There are other, in, other networks that are very committed to the future of the paper performance business. Uh, and, and we just, that kind of stuff makes my stomach turn. And that's the kind of stuff I think that market leverage will be around for 10 years for because we don't do those things. And we are systematically setting up systems to avoid uh, that kind of stuff. And it all starts with the publisher application. It's very, very important to speak with people uh, and to get a real strong sense that people are telling you the truth. We have you know, some very modest ways of doing that right now. We're building that. And furthermore, once you let somebody in the network, that's not a guarantee, as you pointed out early, earlier, that something bad isn't going to happen. But when you work directly with the advertiser and you encourage them uh, to, to take on their own anti-fraud methods and to share them with market leverage, as freely and openly as possible, we encourage people to do that and we get rid of publishers where we see those types of problems. At the end of the day, it all comes down to the quality of the distribution stream. That's what we get paid to deliver to advertisers and we're investing in our future, not throwing it away when we start to cut people out that are doing those things. Okay. Um, 
Another area that's problematic is um, obviously some advertisers who are extremely aggressive and do things that are either borderline or, or crossing the line in terms of legality. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I guess you, you guys would be considered an, an agency, and so you're separate. I mean, how does that work in terms of making sure that there's – how do you not get in trouble for that? And how, do you, how, do you, what, how do you deal with borderline advertisers that, that probably shouldn't be on the network? Well, it's, it's a great question, and, and this is a this is definitely a moving target. Uh, this is something that is that is constantly changing. What what we know up front um, is that we while we take as many measures as we can, I don't think the network uh, can offer five, six hundred different advertisers, which we think is where the market is. We think uh, publishers want a lot of choices. We can offer five or six hundred different advertisers, and at the same time, um, you know, exhaustively investigate every advertiser by actually going, uh, looking at every landing page. Advertisers can change landing pages, so it's, it's a very hard thing to police. So what we've done is, is we've created a group of standards in our advertiser terms and conditions uh, that are, I think, very strong, strong standards. Um, we've put them together. We have advertisers, of course, signed for that. And when we hear complaints or issues, we definitely investigate those complaints and issues, and we move forward from there. And I'll give you a couple examples. I mean, a lot of networks have been touched by these things. Um, you, you know, there's been a couple uh, things lately, uh, particularly in light of the new administration and the FTC's um, real look and deep look inside of our industry. Uh, market leverage has not been named uh, in, in we you know in the grant offers, for example, that had the President of the United States on them. Uh, and the Oprah Winfrey lawsuits that have recently come out, we've created standards long ago that we're not going to do those types of offers that, that have these big celebrity endorsements, et cetera, et cetera, on them. So we're trying to stay ahead of the curve with those things, but, again, it is a moving target, and um, uh, the more we learn about it, the better we get at it. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned in the beginning, you're talking about kind of where you see the space can go. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with a company called the Rubicon Project? Um, I, I've heard of the Rubicon Project, but I'm not exactly sure what they do. So um, the CEO is a guy named Frank Adante, and mm-hmm. basically what he's doing is taking remnant in- inventory, which is basically um, mostly, I think, what market leverage is, um, mm-hmm. and, and most other CPA networks where it's all direct response-driven offers, mm-hmm. um, and then being able to uh, – putting a system together for publishers, which optimizes what pu- – which looks at the types of traffic that works for publishers – uh-huh. and helps them get higher effective CPMs for that traffic to, to offers. And gotcha. so effectively what they can do is take 100 CPA networks and say, well, you know, you're actually a Mexican website, so Mexican traffic is going to work better for you. So we'll, we'll automatically test out some Mexican offers from a Mexican CPA network. We'll mm-hmm. also run those against some offers from, from market leverage, mm-hmm. and then we'll see which ones do the best and then continue to do those, and that all mm-hmm. happens automatically, and mm-hmm. we take a, a 9% cut. That's, that's brilliant. Um, so they're, they're, they're getting quite a lot of traction, I think, doing quite well. Um, mm-hmm. They've certainly raised a lot of money, and it seems like they're, they're, things are working for them. I'm interested in what you think of, of that model, and there are other businesses doing that, and how you would fit into that in future. Excellent question. And we think about this stuff all the time uh, as it relates to that, not specifically the Rubicon Project, but I think that when you look at um, – when you look at, for example, Google, and, and you look at what existed before Google came on board and became the empire they are, not for search, but for the advertising business, um, it's, 
I think the biggest inefficiency that exists within affiliate marketing today is that publishers are constantly going into affiliate networks, market leverage included, and I don't think there's any really outside of this loop yet. Uh, and they're looking for ads, which they then grab, they put on their, their own sites or their inventory, and they're trying to find the one that yields the highest effective CPM. Now, if you took all of the ads on all of the affiliate marketing networks, let's just say, you know, you've got, you've got several thousand ads to choose from, all at different commission points, in different verticals, et cetera, et cetera. It's not for the human brain to do that with enormous efficiency. Database technology and software is going to do that far better than the human brain does that. So people that are building software to optimize the, the specific ad to the specific audience through certain publishers you know, makes a lot of sense, and market leverage uh, obviously supports and believes very strongly uh, in that. Where we see our position in that, um, right now what we want to do is we want to build incredible distribution in the affiliate marketing uh, arena by creating standards for publishers, uh, by knowing and sifting through uh, all the publisher applications and finding the publishers that are really doing things in an ethical way, in, in, in the right way to do it, that aren't adding fraud to the traffic, et cetera, et cetera. This is why I continuously come back to that, because we see that as being one of the big assets of market leverage. Once we, we build that network out, and we've certainly built it out, but if we build it bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, we aim to have the highest quality uh, affiliate marketing network out there then it's a matter of creating as much efficiency for those affiliates as possible um, and, and leveraging the hundreds and hundreds of advertiser relationships we have like, with their distribution. And any software that helps us to do that is, is going to be welcome with open arms and market leverage. Uh, so that's definitely a focus for us. Uh, we've looked into some, some things that do that, uh, but our primary focus right now is getting great distribution built um, and, and really providing that because we know that once you have great distribution, then making that distribution efficient is the next big step. What about, though, I mean, if the Rubicon project uh, has all of the relationships with the publishers and has given them lots of tools and that they, they know that it's, if they sign up with the Rubicon project, yeah, they're taking a 9% uh, um, hit to, and that's what they pay the Rubicon project, but overall they make 50% higher effective CPMs, plus then... Rubicon's doing filtering in terms of filtering out offers which is not appropriate for their traffic or damaging mm -hmm. to their brand or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, if, they ha if they nail down all of those relationships with the publishers, where does that leave you in terms of access to the advertisers? Does, does that, could you get this intermediated? Well, you know, certainly it, when, when, you're, when we're playing these, these theoretical games that if everything works exactly in that particular way, then I guess the conclusion would be that we are. Um, but, but that is, it, it's really not something I'm as concerned or worried about because uh, I think that that, um, that that type of software uh, is not something that is, uh, if it's completely unique to the Rubicon project right now, I know and have spoken with many people that are working on software that better pairs advertisers uh, with publishers within the affiliate marketing segment uh, and also does so with an eye for compliance, an eye for branding and messaging and so forth. So, you know, we think that there's going to be other outlets. And, and I, again, I'm saying this purely with the information that you've brought me. I'm, I'm talking about what I know. I don't know a lot about the Rubicon project, as you know. So it's the part just one example. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of companies doing it. There's probably at least five. I, I just know Rubicon well because I, I know them. I've, there's an interview on my site with them, and I just I know a little bit more about what they're doing than others. But gotcha. I guess the, 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 the general point is, 
the, the way CPA networks work today is very people-heavy, which would seem counterintuitive. Um, I mean, Google's come along and, and, and put in a, a manu- an automatic system for people to be able to buy pay-per-click traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, it would seem that in the CPA arena, there should be some way to automate that. I mean, we're all Internet people rather than have something that's so people-intensive. Um, do you feel that it's going to be necessary to keep the people-intensive side of, of matching traffic with, with offers? Well, in in 10 years, no. I think the people side is, you know, I I think the people side is critical and important from a compliance perspective. It's critical and important when dealing with the publisher and letting the publisher come on. Obviously, it's critically important from the sales perspective and, of course, the strategy perspective. So all of those things uh, are always going to be people critical. The, The area of efficiency, which you bring up, which is, where is the right place for this ad to land out of this entire network of publishers? Uh, there's no question that software is going to do a much better job at that. But having said that, I speak to people uh, regularly that far outperform uh, Google AdWords, um, Google AdSense, Google AdWords on, on their own sites um, by using and selecting their own authors. So the software is not at a point that we've observed where the efficiency is so great that a publisher that's dedicated uh, isn't making significant more margin by choosing their own ads right now uh, on companies like Market Leverage. Will that day come? I'm certain that that day will come. So our focus is really building a great quality network on both sides, the advertiser side and the publisher side, and we're certain that whether we develop it in-house or whether we continuously talk with some of the people we're talking to and we reach out further uh, to figure out how to place this inventory, uh, we're sure that we're going to be on top of that and we'll do that. And, and I think it's, it's inevitable that will happen. What other, what other trends do you see happening in the industry at the moment? There's a lot of trends happening, and I think a lot of them are really for the good. I think um, the, the, we see that compliance, is, uh, compliance has always been important to us from the perspective of it's the right way to grow a company. Uh, and we want to have advertisers having a great experience. We want publishers that we know that we can trust, and we want them to get better payouts because, on average, our traffic is, is of higher quality than somebody's not paying attention to that. So compliance has always been a big focus for us, but I, I think the day is upon us where, where the FTC uh, and attorney generals are really starting to take a much bigger look at this and are starting to focus in on our industry uh, as a result of that, we have two responsibilities. One is to be there uh, from a compliance standpoint for people who want to be compliant. We want them to come to market leverage, uh, and we want them to run because our network is set up that way. But also, number two, unfortunately, a lot of legislators don't understand our industry, and this is why our involvement um, with the DMA and one of the reasons that we co-founded the uh, performance marketing segment of the DMA is important to us because it's the birth of a lobbying effort to inform people that are making decisions they don't understand a lot about how the industry works and what the industry is capable of. So I think the responsibility of organizations like Market Leverage who are committed to compliance and quality uh, is to spread that message to people ultimately who are going to make the decisions from a law and compliance standpoint. Okay. Um when you talk about other directions that this space can go into, I mean, do you want to be um, brokering traffic for Best Buy? Um, like, where do you where do you want to where do you want to head? Well, excellent question. I mean, we think that 
we think that, that the performance marketing space, obviously going back to the beginning and, and when we first started talking about it, the idea that an advertiser only pays when they get what they're looking for, we think is, is the, the, the seed of, of a revolution, of a great, great, great thing that's it's already bearing out a lot of fruit. Uh, it's, it's changing the way that marketing is done. And we don't think that this is going to stop with affiliate marketing. We think that affiliate marketing is the first channel that, that really almost out of necessity had to adapt the, you know, you're only going to get paid when the advertiser is looking or gets what they're looking for. We think that that is going to get bigger than the affiliate marketing space. And as you suggested, when software gets better at placing a specific ad in front of a specific person, sort of the three R's, the right message, the right person at the right time, um, we think that, that the model that allows an advertiser to pay CPA and potentially to arbitrage CPM um, or CPM going away altogether, we think all of that is imminent. It's upon us. We know people that are already doing that fairly well, but we think that's going to get much, much, much bigger. So what market leverage is a real believer in uh, is this kind of this concept we call digital dialogue. And the digital dialogue is that when a consumer clicks on something, they're indicating some level of interest in it. When they buy something, they're indicating, obviously, a clear level of interest in, in something. We think that that can be harnessed with the power of performance marketing uh, to grow the industry significantly larger than it is. And, and what needs to happen is compliance standards need to come into the picture in a very clear way, which makes brands feel more and more comfortable about working in the space. Is it, is it highly conceivable that companies like Best Buy are going to want to pay only when they get what they're looking for, the CPA model? Absolutely it is. Can they venture into the affiliate marketing space as it exists today and do that safely? Uh, at best, in very limited areas, will the markets open up so that that can happen? Absolutely. And this is something that we focus on a lot. Uh, we have some internal efforts right now to build distribution that keeps the integrity of the brand message even through affiliate marketing. You know, at one point I think that needs to be made here is when you say to a publisher, you're only going to get paid when the advertiser gets what they're looking for and here's the creative, it's extremely difficult for even the best publisher to not try to change some aspects of that creative to get a higher commission. And this is where a lot of the fraud comes in. So we think controlling that message uh, is, is very, very important and think you're going to see more of that in order to capture the brands like Best Buy in the future. Okay. Um, last question then, just in general, uh, makeup of traffic of the network. What percentage of your traffic is email versus web inventory versus uh, search? That's a very interesting question, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that that is actually, it's an interesting time in our industry because that is changing radically almost from a month-to-month -month standpoint. For many years, email marketing was a big percentage driver of traffic uh, in the market leverage network, and we've seen search uh, over, say, the past year, 18 months, become a much, much larger part of that, um, but, you know, having said that, uh, the two are vacillating back and forth as the, as the primary driver of traffic. Um, so it, it, it's right now, it's, it's in a struggle. It's going in, in multiple directions. So it would be between mostly between email and search? Yeah, primarily in, 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 you know, our experience with the affiliate space is it's primarily between email and search. Right. Are you seeing any other avenues for traffic, or is it mainly those two? Well, it, it's those two uh, on a large scale. Obviously, we have a lot of affiliates who control 
their own websites and, and um, they drive, uh, when we say search, you know, search obviously is also SEO. So there's a lot of people who own their own websites and drive traffic via SEO to those websites. That's a component of search um, that, that is also vacillating. That's always been, it's been fairly steady since we've picked up that traffic. Um, social media is something that we've, we've seen uh, pieces of, but it also vacillates. It gets really big and then it kind of stops. A lot of this inventory that's, that's out there on social media, even search, a lot of these things are changing constantly. Uh, and as a result, we see vacillations as their percentage overall in market leverage distribution. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about which we haven't covered? Uh, I hope that I've, I've been able to answer uh, a lot of your questions uh, with the level of detail, and I'd be happy to, to, uh, to go in on any of the other details that you want. Uh, I, I think the message that I want to leave with is that we really believe that this is the dawn of the Bronze Age for something that, you know, a thousand years from now, the DNA of what we're doing today is going to be in marketing. The idea that it's, it's truly interactive, that a consumer can do something, and as a result of doing something, uh, that we can target with more effective advertising in the future. The idea that an advertiser can only pay when they're getting the results that they're looking for. The idea that an advertiser no longer pays for the privilege of advertising, which is the CPM, billboard, television, radio, um, you know, magazine model. We think that all of that inevitably and eventually is going to go away into a large part. Uh, and, and we think that figuring out how to make that work is, is the battle that market leverage is engaged in. Uh, it's fascinating. There's a lot of great companies in our space that are engaged in the same thing, and we think we're seeing the birth of something great. And additionally, I think that the, the fact that there's a lot of focus now from the FTC and regulators is telling us that this is the dawn of much bigger money coming into the space, that brand marketers need a clean space in order to feel comfortable about paying only when they get what they're looking for through affiliate marketing and through other channels. And we think that's also happening. So we see this as a very, very exciting time for the industry. Cool. Well, Michael, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. It was great to speak with you, Adrian. Thank you.